Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Co-host Mike Nelson here with Steve Willette. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Good. I think I'm back this week. My my babies aren't sick this week, so we're we're ready to go. No more open sores or bleeding or no, anything like that. That's good. It's going away. Yes. The yeah. turns out that uh, leprosy is contagious. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but but curable. So uh, we are here with Justin Hall. Justin, how are we doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me on the show, Mike. Absolutely, man. We're excited to have you here. We, uh, we've we been chatting about a bunch of stuff that we didn't get on the recording, so we had to start the show here. Uh, so I'm just going to let Justin introduce himself, tell us a little bit about uh, who he is, his you know branch of service that he served in, and then uh, Steve's going to take it from there. So uh, Justin, tell us, tell us who you are, man. Uh, my name is Justin Hall, 30 years old. I'm born and raised here in Glens Falls. Um, I'm a veteran of the United States Army. I did nine years from 2010 to 2019. And uh, in 2019, uh, my career was cut short. I was medically discharged with two traumatic brain injuries, seven concussions, a heart condition known as neurocardiogenic syncope, um, a knee injury, shoulder injuries. Um, so a plethora of things that uh, ended my career in the military. Um, and uh, when I served as military police, I worked in a construction unit for a little bit. And I also, right at the end of my career, they moved me to supply to give me something uh, when I left for uh, civilian work. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. I think I speak for everyone when I say that. Steve? Well, I was military police as well. Um, what about your, you talk about like your injuries and stuff. Where did, where did that happen? So a lot of my injuries, so some of them like the concussions and stuff, I worked in Southern Indiana um, for a little while. Um, um, I had jurisdiction on posts and stuff, and we did a lot of joint operations with some of the local police departments and stuff with like drugs and stuff, drug operations. And uh, some of the concussions and stuff came from that. Um, my traumatic brain injuries, believe it or not, came after I got my heart condition from fainting and passing out like the fainting spells and stuff. I, uh, I'd faint one, I fell down the stairs. I, I fainted, fell on the stairs, and hit my head on a cast iron radiator. Oh my god! Um, so that was uh, that was one of the bigger ones. I was, I was in the hospital for like three days and wake up for a few days. And uh, it when I came to, and they finally were able to do some testing, no swelling or anything. They uh, said, "Wow, you got definitely got a TBI here." So, what? And the fainting itself, though. Tell us about that, about how that all came about. So I got an anthrax vaccine for pre-deployment immunizations, and um, one of the vaccines I received was uh, the anthrax vaccine. I got the whole series that, and um, that um, a couple days after I got it, the first day I got it, I uh, I started vomiting blood, yeah, hives and like a whole bunch of stuff. And I passed out, um, I woke up on a cot and a medic kind of like just cold packing me and um, smacking me in the face a little bit saying, hey, good to go there, private. I was, all right, good to go. And uh, came to, um, got back home and, um, was about ready to go to work and walking out the door and I passed out and my girlfriend was like, this is not, this is not okay. Um, I ended up going to the hospital, hospital couldn't, couldn't put anything on it. They couldn't say whether it was this, this or this, they had no answers for it. They just said, well, you passed out. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so progressively it got worse and worse. It progressed to it till it was like eight, nine times a day. And um, I saw a cardiologist, I saw a neurologist, and finally um, my cardiologist doing a workup, they 
forget the name of the term or the test or whatever, but they measured the size of my heart. And um, they said, wow, your heart is considerably smaller than what it should be for the size of your body. And um, compared to what I had when I went into service, um, they said, wow, like, let's look into some of these vaccines and stuff you got um, as part of the workup and stuff like that. And one of the things that uh, we found as part of a side effect for the anthrax vaccine was syncopal episodes and um, like a form of dysautonomia. And that was like, it was identical to what was going on. Um, so they diagnosed me with neurocardiogenic syncope, which is just a fancy word for I faint and pass out. <laughs> okay. Fancy way to say that. And so help me understand just from a timeline standpoint. So you, this wasn't when you first enlisted, this was nope. years after you'd been in the army for about six years, about six years. And then before deployment, you had to get a round of shots amongst those was anthrax anthrax. Thank you. And that's what caused all this crazy yes. stuff to start happening to you. Yep. That's, so that's the, nuts. uh, a lot of the, I didn't have a reaction to anything other than that. But now that I've had the reaction to this vaccine, like there's a lot of other vaccines and stuff now that they keep me from getting because of the chemical compound makeup of this specific vaccine. No kidding. And now before we started recording, Steve, you had chimed in uh, talking a little bit about your story uh, with vaccines. Why don't you pipe in just to kind of add to that? Because yeah. I think it's crazy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not like an anti-vaxxer or whatever, but um you know, people that, that have never served and then might be listening to this um, to, to kind of understand when when you're in the military and you go through uh, the pre-deployment line, um, they basically stand there. I, I remember in 2003 when I was going to Baghdad and we, we basically walked through this line and they're handing your your papers and, and last minute stuff. And you walk through this line and you have both sleeves rolled up on on your on your T-shirt. And they're just sticking you, you know, <laughs> left arm, right arm, you know, whatever shots you need. And um, that I mean, that's it. So it's it's mandatory. I had nine anthrax vaccines uh, during the 16 years that I was in. And it wasn't until 2015 uh, when I was in Korea in 2014, my legs and my feet started going numb. Um, I was doing a lot of running um, every morning and just training, physical training, and my feet and legs were going numb. And so everybody kept telling me, buy new sneakers, you need to stretch mm -hmm. more, you know, all this stuff, you know. So I spent hundreds of dollars on new sneakers and, uh, and remedies, you know, to, to fix myself. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I got to my, my follow-on station in Alaska that they started doing MRIs that started again and came to come to find out uh, it was multiple sclerosis. There's a whole study that's been linked back to the anthrax vaccine. Um, so, so what you're saying is it's vaccine-induced multiple sclerosis, if I'm hearing you right from what you're saying now and what you were saying previously. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, – there was a certain company, and I, what was the name of it again? I believe it was Biothrax. Bio, um, there was a Biothrax. Bio, Biothrax or Biotech or something like that, and um, – where the the vaccines were stored, um, there was some questionable lot numbers um, in the manufacturing of the vaccine, where it was stored, and 
there's a whole congressional hearing that you can just Google it and you can read page after page of people just getting drilled um, about the anthrax vaccine because women were showing up with ovarian cancer and um, infertility. Uh, there was, you know, lupus, fibromyalgia, uh, MS, uh, a ton of neurological diseases that have all been linked back to um, the certain lot numbers of the anthrax vaccine. That's crazy. Yeah, and you, and you don't have a choice. I mean, you take it or you get kicked out. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you do have a well, choice. Well, we've just seen this with a lot of uh, men and women with the COVID vaccine, sure. too, where they're, you know, mandatory. You have to get in. And a lot of people just, are like, no, I don't want to take it. And so a lot yeah. of servicemen and women have been had to leave uh, because they didn't want to take the, the vaccine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I knew some people when I was in that uh, refused to get the anthrax shot. There was actually a book written by an Air Force top gun pilot. Uh, he was a lieutenant colonel, and uh, he refused the anthrax vaccine. He actually wrote a book about it. Um, I'll try and get the name of it. Um, you can put it in the notes. Yeah, we'll try to put it in the show notes. Yeah, and uh, but he actually wrote a book because he was discharged um, because he refused the shot. And I mean, I, I knew several people that were in the same boat, and they weren't lieutenant colonels, but um, they suffered the same fate, you know, as, yeah. as he did, and got the boot. Hmm. So, yeah, well, appreciate it's, it's crazy. You. Yeah, it's, and again, I certainly didn't want to pull away from your story, Justin, no, but absolutely. I just, we were talking about that, and I think yeah. it's just, it's insane to me that, I don't want to say it, it's common, because obviously there are tens of thousands of men and women every year that are getting these shots and sure. not suffering any side effects, but the fact remains that you guys both suffered some pretty life-altering side effects from some of those vaccines, so. And it's crazy, because I've never known so many people with MS but now I know quite a few prior service members mm -hmm. that have MS um, or other neurological um, autoimmune diseases. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I think it's even crazier. Like they, the numbers, um, like one in 10,000 or one in 100,000 or something like that for the, uh, for the side effects, the severe side effects for that same vaccine. And I'm sitting right here with a guy that had a similar story with the, uh, an experience with that same vaccine. I have not met a single other veteran with a with a similar story. So this is crazy too to yeah. see that. Yeah, and you know, and again, I th that's kind of part of the reason for this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Steve and I talk yeah. about, and you know, it, it just there's so many of you guys that have paid some pretty terrible prices for your service and for what you've done, and uh, you know, you guys aren't alone. And uh, trying to make sure that everybody's connected is a big part of what we're trying to accomplish here. So. People that, that are listening, you don't see where we're at, um, but we're not in our normal place where we typically record the podcast. And, and so I'm going to turn it over to Justin and just kind of tell us, where are we? What What is it that you do here? And, and yeah, I mean, um, just tell us what you do. So we're here at my home academy, um, Atlas Jiu-Jitsu in Glens Falls, New York. Um, so I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu five, between five and seven days a week. Um, I assist in coaching day to day as well. Um, and I got into jiu-jitsu. I started combatives in the military. I fought a few amateur fights um, during that time. I trained uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing and um, other various forms of striking, nothing belt ranked or anything, but I trained a long time in the striking arts. That's how I got into MMA. At the time, I never had any grappling experience. And when I came to Atlas, I'd never grappled in my life besides a small um, portion that I did in the military, which 
the time I thought was really I was really good at it. But um, <laughs> found out jujitsu pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> I think it humbles you pretty quick, yeah, right? Um, I'm not as good as I thought it was. Yeah. When I walked in the doors here. Um, but to rewind a little bit, when I left the service, um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I was on all kinds of meds for my heart condition, PTSD. Um, I had a whole bunch of medications. I think there was at one point I was on like seven or eight different medications. Wow. And I gained a ton of weight. Um, I was over 270 pounds um, at one point. And, um, you got to be about a buck 65. I'm looking at you. You're, you're, you're a pretty in shape dude. What are you weighing now? Close to... Close to that. Um, I want to say right now, maybe 180, but um, weight cut weeks when I compete. Yeah. Usually I get down to about 165 to 170. Nice. So um, I cut about 100 pounds in the last two years just from doing jujitsu and getting back in shape. Good um, for you. I cut every medication I was taking, cold turkey. Um, I got a service dog, and um, the service dog, um, Rosa, she's wonderful. She comes from Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs in Williston, Florida. She alerts me for... Um, my syncable episodes about five minutes before I feel anything. That's so amazing. I'm able to drive. I'm able to do, I'm able to live like a normal life because of her. So her and I are, we go everywhere together. She, um, she's kind of changed the dynamics of life for me. So I'm able to move around, get around and to do things without really interrupting my day-to-day -day activities. Yeah. Um, same thing with post-traumatic stress. She's training a variety of tasks to, um, to distract, to interrupt, um, deep pressure therapy, like a lot of things that she's trying to do, she does to distract you, to make you recenter, refocus and, uh, drive on with whatever you're doing for the day. So if, if you're listening, what you don't see right now is that Rosa is in the room with us. She's about, I would say about 50 to 75 feet away from us, relaxed, hanging out. She's cute. Is she a German shepherd. She's full breed German shepherd, full breed German shepherd, cute, cute little dog she probably weighs what 50 pounds she's 60 60 she's pounds okay uh i think we've all just realized that my weight guessing is very off <laughs> uh so but she's just chilling over there so explain us how that works i mean so like right now if you are going to start having an episode whether it was ptsd or for your syncable episode she would be able to sense being, it being this far away she might not but um i know close enough like within 10 feet she'll definitely smell it like she yeah her nose doesn't miss anything I mean, it's food especially, but, um, <laughs> so, uh, she, that scent for her though, like the, uh, what it is like the cortisone levels in your body will change. Yeah. And it, she smells that the same thing with like the adrenaline dump from PTSD to, mm -hmm. to a dog, like their nose is made like the inside of their nose is made like a coil and to them it stinks. Like it smells terrible. And like, to, no kidding to, um, it's not hard for a dog to pick up that scent. But to get them to react to it is the tricky part. Yeah. So she smells all of this, but she has to know what to do when those things arise. So usually she's trying to jump up and put her paws on me and she okay. licks like incessantly. She'll lick my face. Like she'll knock me down, lick my face. Like she'll, <laughs> she's when she alerts, she's a bully. Like she knows she's right. And, yep. and um, nothing's going to get in the way of that. She will not give up on it until I listen to her. So that I'm thankful for that. That's she's incredible. very, she's very it is. I, this is fascinating to me that it doesn't matter. I, I don't care if there's a thousand people in here, she'll yeah. do her job no matter what. Yeah. That dog will not, she will not falter at her job. That's amazing. And so she, she wouldn't alert to like, if, if I was going to have an episode, she wouldn't alert to, to me, would she? It, so she sometimes will smell that same adrenaline dump in other people. Mm -hmm. However, um, she's trained specifically for me. 
Um, so I can't say that she will or won't. I've noticed sometimes she has alerted to other people, um, especially um, there's a few friends that I have that she's alerted to before. However, it's not like an all the time or common thing. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, no, she doesn't alert to other people. But every once in a while, um, if someone's like having an anxiety attack or something, she will um, she will go and poke her nose over there. No kidding. So I think important too to kind of show the contrast of life before Rosa and life after Rosa. What what can you tell the listeners about, you know, how, because I, you, you kind of said it where like the freedom that she gives you, yeah, what, so what was it like before? Passing out eight to nine times a day. Um, and you add, um, you add the post-traumatic stress into it. And so I have post-traumatic stress disorder with those kind of episodes, like the heightened fight or flight response. And you add that to someone with, um, sinkable episodes or um passing out or fainting spells and it's just that fight or flight turns into you just drop on the floor yeah um so that went from like eight to nine times a day to probably double that um with those kind of so i wasn't leaving my house i wasn't able to go to work i wasn't able to do much of anything without assistance like i had to have somebody with me 24 7 um and i couldn't live i couldn't go to hockey games i mean things that i used to love to do i couldn't I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to come in here and do jujitsu. Um, I wasn't able to work out or exercise. I wasn't able to go to like local cafes. I wasn't able mm -hmm. to do anything that I normally did. And, um, it started drawing on me. I mean, it drew on me to the point where I want to say in 2017, um, I literally had a suicide attempt. And, um, luckily at the time, my wife at the time, um, she, uh, if it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't be here. Wow. Um, 100%. Um, so it was at that point that we made the decision, like we need to do something because what, what we're doing currently isn't working. And that's when uh, Rosa ended up coming into the picture about six months after that. Wow. I just, I'm thinking about that whole situation. I can't even imagine it, first of all. Uh, but I mean, you just must have felt like a prisoner. Absolutely. A prisoner and like at the time, I didn't know any other veterans with disabilities. I didn't know any other people experiencing any challenges similar to that or anything so i i felt a lot like what was me um yeah i looked down and i said you know like this hand that i was dealt is terrible um and i just wanted it over with like i i didn't care about much anymore um it's hard to say really like the the specific feelings that i had because it's been so long but um i know it was so doom and gloom and i looked more selfishly at the whole situation during that time and um it was so from that like when i got rosa i started to realize that maybe i'm not the only person in the world with these problems and um i started to move on um i decided that uh instead of why why not it started to become why not why can't i do this or why sure why what what's the checklist what do i need to do to accomplish things and um Rosa gave me the ability to start doing that. So well, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can certainly relate to that, that feeling of, um, that, that doomed feeling, um, that everything, you know, life has just been, uh, turned upside down. Your future has been ripped away from you. Everything that you had hopes and plans for suddenly, um, is gone. Uh, besides Rosa, I mean, what, what else is it? Is it maybe, is it jujitsu? Is it doing what you do here at Atlas? Um, 
what pushed you through that and and what helps you now sustain that from from slipping back into um where you were before yeah that's a turning that corner like so how do you do that? rosa gave me the uh the motivation and the ability not just the motivation but the ability was a big part of it i didn't have the resources at the time to counteract what was going on with me so now add rosa to the equation and i was able to get out do things and I said well now i'm extremely unhealthy i'm over almost 300 pounds is like 270 pretty close to that um and i needed to do something about it like with the disabilities I had, there's no way I was gonna live a long time um, going the way I was going. So I decided I needed to do something physical and I knew that I love combatives. I knew that I fought before. I didn't know if it was feasible to actually fight again, but I knew that like, okay, this is a really physical sport. I wanna see if I can do this. And so I came in here and I met Joe um, again. So to run it back a little bit, during the time that I had a lot of these issues, um, I came into Atlas before when um, I stayed here for about a month, I want to say. And then I told Joe, like my doctor said, with everything I'm going on, a good chance of like heart attacks and stuff like that because of the size of my heart. Um, I won't be able to stay around until I get these issues fixed. And when I left, I mean, instructors, people that own jujitsu academies see people come and go all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's common to think maybe yeah, okay, whatever. He's never going to see him again. And I'm guessing, you know, from my perspective, it's probably what, what happened. Like, so three years later, um, I came walking back into the same place and um, we recognized each other, hit it, hit it off right off the bat. Um, he welcomed Rosa in with open arms. Um, the whole team did. Um, and from there, I started working. Um, there's been days that I pass out face down on the mats. I mean, people at this point, it's commonplace. They don't react to it unless like I'm actually hurt. <laughs> right. Um, so and it's not because someone got a choke. Yeah, no, no, they, no, I'm not getting choked out. Um, times <laughs> that I pass out, I'm usually pretty safe when I train. I don't really, I don't hold out to things too long, um, mm -hmm. but passing out like that just happens. So my teammates are real good about it. My coach is great about it. Um, so jujitsu um, was something that really motivated me to make me think like, it gave me a greater sense of purpose. Like I had a team again. Um, I had that camaraderie um, that I missed from the military. And I had a place where I could go that everything I did mattered. Even if I didn't do great for the day, I was someone else got the opportunity to train with me and maybe they hit the techniques that they drilled for the day that I wasn't able to do. I helped progress their future. That's a great way to look at it, man. Um, I'm gonna, I gotta start. I gotta start doing that whenever someone taps me out. I gotta be like, all right, I just help them be better. <laughs> they kick so, my. Yeah, so that's uh, you know, I, and as a white belt, I was getting beat up a majority of the time. I yeah. came in here, I was one of like three white belts when I first started. So oh. I was like, oh my god, um, you know, hopefully I don't get beat up like this every in a day. sea of blue and purples, right? Yes. Like that's that's so it was rough, like blue man. belts. Um, and then our instructor Joe at the time when I started, um, the first time I came around, he was brown belt mm -hmm. um and he was a brown belt when i came back he uh and i i was thankful to be there uh to watch him get his black belt nice but i mean all these high belts and i was just brand new white belt so and i was extremely out of shape so you combine the two things i i didn't stand a chance it was like getting thrown in a shark tank sure they worked with me they molded me um they helped me get to where i'm at now um and so once i started losing weight I got competitive again and I said, you know, maybe I'll try the competition circuit. I'm not going to fight with the brain injuries and stuff. Um, that's just silly. Um, right. So I tried a competition and um, 
I took bronze in my first competition and uh, I loved it. I thought, um, you know, the adrenaline rush, everything. I was like, you know what? Like, I, I can do this. This is something I think is sustainable for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting, you know, punched in the face every single time I get on a jiu-jitsu mat. So this is great. Right. Um, I went out probably three more months um, of training and I decided um, we – we wanted to do like a seminar, get somebody in for a seminar for veterans. And, um, I spoke with Joe about it quite a bit. Joe is a huge advocate of the military. Joe has supported the military. I mean, even before I was here, he, Mm -hmm. um, he was linked up with a mission 22. And, um, when I came in, we got linked up with a, we defy foundation and, um, they, these agent or these, um, they're nonprofit organizations. They sponsor people to, or give scholarships to athletes to, train in jujitsu hundred percent at no cost. That's awesome. Um, so Joe is a huge advocate for military. Yeah. Um, always has been his comes from a long lineage. And, um, so we wanted to get the seminar together. We, we spoke with a gentleman named Nicholas Ron from a uh, warrior's next adventure. Nick is, I believe he's a purple belt still in jujitsu. He may be close to his brown belt. Now he traveled around the country, um, filming a documentary called a uh, PTSD versus jujitsu. He decided to come to Atlas because um, I, I sent him a message, um, said that there was a gym in the Northeast that he was visiting, and he didn't know if uh, these people were going to stay on or stay or cancel because of COVID. They ended up canceling, so he messaged us and said, I have an opening if you guys want it. He came here to film. Wow. Um, so I've been in touch with this guy the entire summer and everything. He showed up, did the seminar, and it really – piqued my interest and motivated me by about what he was doing. Um, he, uh, doing this, he met so many people. He, he inspired a lot of people and all veterans, um, people with disabilities, people without disabilities. I mean, it doesn't matter. He connected with people from California to New York across the entire country. So I was doing a one-on-one interview with him and he said, um, a couple things. He said, it's, it's not, why can't I? It's why not. Mm-hmm. And um, you just want to constantly drive forward with that. You want to take everything that you think is an obstacle and just turn it around. Like there's no reason that you can't do something. It's your own mind. Mm-hmm. Like you you got to be willing to want it more than the obstacles are preventing you. And yeah, a, a couple of things that, that you you really that, that you said that that really really um I think are impactful is uh, one question that I usually ask people is what do they miss most about their time in the, in the military, in the service? And most of the time people say camaraderie. And um, I think that it's awesome that you were able to transition from the military um, and find that camaraderie here with uh, a new team doing something different, um, still having the same concept, lifting each other up, building each other up, making each other better. Um, and and finding that that brotherhood here um, in the military or in, in the gym. The other thing that you just said is um, why not? And and I often thought of this myself when I had started the Faces of Veterans Photography, which by the way I'll be uh, photographing here on Veterans Day at the gym. And I thought to myself, um, I you know I, I've I've often said to myself, well, if I don't do it, who will? 
um, why, why not me? Why, why, why not, um, continue this or, or whatever. So I, I really like those, those two things that, that you said, um, you also own a nonprofit, uh, correct? You, yes. You run um, a nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's where I was heading with this, uh, this whole story actually. Um, so Nick inspired me. I wanted to do uh, 22 competitions this year for veteran suicide awareness for people that are listening that may not understand what the significance of the number is. Um, every day, um, per veterans, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs statistics, uh, 22 veterans each day commit suicide. Um, to me, that's that's just unacceptable, like, especially being someone that survived the suicide attempt. Um, I just I can't think about that and not want to do something about it. It's so, a staggering number. That's and, and it is. And and before before you continue on, I, I know a lot of people they um they look at, you know, you have the twenty-two push-ups a day that you see people do on social media, you have ice bucket challenges, you have and you said that you did twenty-two tournaments. And a lot of people take that and they're like, Well, what does that and I've often thought of this uh more recently, uh, because last week we were at a uh a walk for veteran suicide. Uh, here in Glens Falls. And people often look at those things on, on social media and they said, well, what does dumping a bucket of water over your head or doing 22 push-ups a day or 22 tournaments, uh, which is heck of a lot more, <laughs> heck of a lot more challenging than, than uh, 22 push-ups. If you roll jiu-jitsu, you know how rough this 22 right. tournaments is if you don't roll jiu-jitsu let me just tell you doing 22 tournaments in a year that is a lot of training and a lot yeah. of rolling well people people look at that and they're like well what does that really do to impact this number of of veterans each day that commit suicide and it's not that that is going to change that number but it brings awareness to the fact that that number exists that today before um, you and I go to bed, 22 veterans, approximately, um, it, it could be higher today. It could be a little less, but 22 veterans are going to take their own lives for whatever reason. And a lot of those reasons are things that, that Justin already talked about since the beginning of this podcast, that feeling of, of being alone, um, rejected, having your future taken from you. Um, so it's not that his 22 tournaments ended veteran suicide or 22 push-ups or whatever the challenge is, um, and did veteran suicide, it brings awareness to the fact that that even exists. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I think that's important. So yeah, absolutely. Please, please um, carry so keep going. The 22 tournaments, I had a lot of people say, wow, you're crazy. And at the time I was, I want to say a two or three stripe white belt when I started doing it. So I had no idea how many tournaments people did a year. And most people compete, you know, quarterly or maybe monthly even that's a lot um and i said you know 22 in a year like that's not a big deal that's so it was supposed to be about two tournaments a month there were some stretches where i did about eight nine weeks straight um it's um, not not a big deal though. that's a lot of rolling man <laughs> so and, and rolling with strangers again I, it's when you train jiu-jitsu and you have your team that you train with like i don't want to say it doesn't become easy but you trust your training partners. You have to, right? Like you have to know that when you're being that physical with another human being, that there's going to become a point where one of us is going to be in danger of getting hurt and you need to trust the other man or woman that you're rolling with that they're going to stop, right? That if they're going to know that you're tapping and that you're going to stop the choke or whatever it is and, or the arm bar or the, you know, the knee bar or whatever, ankle lock or whatever it is. So 
when you roll with strangers, there isn't, you know, that is a combative at that point. Like there's, I, I have to assume not ever having been in an MMA fight, but having rolled in a tournament, like know that when you go against that stranger, like you don't have that trust, that trust doesn't exist. So now you're rolling with someone that may hurt you, may try to hurt you for that matter. So doing eight, nine, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I want to put that in perspective for people that don't understand, like that's something that is an accomplishment. So, uh, yeah. So to add on to that, like what I've found, um, throughout the jiu-jitsu community like you'll find a few bad eggs once in a while that are just going to rip submissions mm -hmm. on you and whatnot but not too often um a lot of what i run into there's a mutual respect there's a brief period when they know you're beat where you know you're beat they give you that opportunity to say all right we're done mm -hmm. and um that's a lot of what i run into and you know what through doing that i've uh i've learned to roll the same way at tournaments and competitions like i'm not gonna I'm not gonna break someone's arm i'm not gonna break their knee i'm not gonna it's not that's not what it's about. It's about the sport. It's about mm -hmm. brotherhood, the camaraderie. It's about raising awareness for my mission and what I was doing. I love jujitsu. Don't get me wrong, but competing takes a toll on your body. And other than for my mission, I don't know if I would have done that many tournaments in a year ever. Yeah. Um, so to, to say that, um, that people would go out and hurt you for no reason there's a chance, but I don't think it's as commonplace as a lot of people would think. Like when you go out on the mat, like that guy has a family, he has a job. Um, he has a lot of things in his life that you don't know about, um, or that woman. And, um, so they're not looking to hurt you just like you're not looking to put them out. And, uh, that's something that I really, it's like a mutual respect of the, uh, of the warrior, I guess is the way to put it. Um, so to move on, uh, the 22 tournaments, um, I set up the 22 tournaments and originally it was just a movement to raise awareness, like Steve had commented on, um, to, uh, raise awareness for veteran suicide. Um, now I made a couple Facebook posts. Um, I made a page and I, I branded my movement, um, operation rolling for resilience. Um, when I did this, I started posting about it and I, I attracted a few sponsors. Um, when I got my sponsors, they gave me some money towards um, the travel and stuff for the tournaments. Um, Nicholas Ron came back around and uh, I didn't, after he sponsored me, um, he got me a lifetime pass to a tournament circuit. Um, so I didn't have to pay for a single entry fee. That's amazing. For, which, I mean, that was amazing in itself. It helped out a ton. For people that don't know, like traveling expenses are obviously most people go on vacations and stuff. Gas, um, flights, anything, it's all expensive. No matter how you look at it, hotels, it's all expensive. Um, entry fees at tournaments are equally as expensive. Um, depending on how many divisions you sign up for, usually a hundred to two hundred dollars, um, sometimes more. Um, so that eliminated a ton of expense for us. Um as I progressed, um, as so throughout the summertime, I trained, I made this movement on Facebook and everything and my team knew about it. Um, not too many people locally really knew about it. I started promoting it. And as I promoted it, it gained such traction that I, when I would start going to tournaments, um, probably like my third or fourth tournament, people started to know who I was before I got there and why I was there. And that was very powerful to me. So the more that happened, the more I shared it. And the more I shared it, the more people started sharing it. And it started, there was a point where I had, um, I had a post about a tournament. I want to say it was like my eighth or ninth tournament in a uh, dairy, New Hampshire. Um, I had 22,000 views and shares on it. Um, 
So it started, I started to gain a lot of traction. And at that point we decided that, um, we can take this a step further. And, um, I got together with a group of friends here at the gym. Um, one of my best friends, Nicholas Regner, um, my girlfriend, Miranda, um, Joe, my head coach and general manager here. Um, we all started a, um, a nonprofit. We're working on our 501c3 as we speak. We already have our articles of incorporation for our business license and everything. Um, and we turn Operation Rolling for Resilience into a nonprofit organization. Right now, um, we're in the stages of planning. Um, what we plan to do and what we aim to do is, through the sport of jiu-jitsu, um, create a recreational therapy for people to get out of their heads, onto the mats, and maybe make those friends, uh, make those connections, and find a sense of purpose again, along with that camaraderie and that, and that village, so to speak. Um, so by doing that, what we're going to do is we're going to do, um, we're going to offer people scholarships to train and also on top of that scholarships that compete at no cost. That's awesome. What? There, there's, there's bound to be somebody, somebody listening right now, um, that is, is dealing with whether it's, uh, in a military, um, non-military, uh, whatever there, there's somebody that's listening right now and they, um, are dealing with mental, um, illness, uh, whether it's PTSD or not, and, uh, or some sort of disabilities. And so many of the things that you've mentioned over the past, you know, 30 minutes or so, um, what would you, what is the one thing that you would tell that person who is listening, um, who, who might be at the point where you were at, at, at certain point, you know, and thinking about ending your own life, uh, what is one thing that you would say to them to encourage them? Very first thing I'm going to say is you're not alone. Um, we're all here and all you got to do is reach out for that help. Now there's something I learned from all of this, from the scenario I went through. Um, and you know, the old statement, you can lead a horse to water. You gotta, you gotta find it in yourself to get up. Now those resources, we can bring all those resources to someone, but we can't force them to use them. And you have to want in yourself, you got to want it in your heart bad enough to make yourself better. And when you realize that you need help and you reach for it, that's when all of us come into play. Um, we're all there for them, but you got to inside yourself, you got to find that fire, that desire to get out of bed, get off the couch um, and to, to make it happen for yourself as well. I, well, you know, I mean, to that, one thing that we didn't touch on is, you know, you had mentioned that you had the suicide attempt and then Rosa came into your life and really helped change things. But I want to let's let's bridge that gap there. So what was I mean, was it one thing? Was it one person? Was it many people? You know, you have a suicide attempt. You're in a bad place. What? prompted you or how did you how did you make that connection to rosa like did someone come in and say hey listen we need to get you some help did you self-identify like hey i need to get some help like where how did so that change for you my ex-wife at the time um liz she uh she was a motivating factor like obviously i don't want to leave her alone at the time um and so that was one of the biggest things is like how is what I'm doing right now affecting everybody else around me? Like what's this might be over for me, but this ain't going to be over for anybody else. And that's the way I thought about it. Um, after the fact was, wow, this would have had like 
a trickle effect and who knows what would have happened afterwards. So, Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of people in my corner. I had, um, my mother-in-law at the time, um, and her family, I had my family, I had my brother. Um, I had a lot of people that were saying, you know, let's, let's move on from this. It's time. Let's go get the help. Let's, let's turn your life around. And so that's exactly what I did. I took what they were giving me. I picked it up and I, I took the ball and ran with it. And, um, when it was time to start effectively implementing, um, all these resources and change, that's what I did. I just, one by one, I made a checklist. Like I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to see a therapist. I need to see a counselor. Either I need a medication. I don't need a medication. Like not, I'll say this, not medication doesn't work for every single person out there. I'm going to say it has its place, but I'm going to say that I'm not against it or for it. I'll say that it definitely works for some people. It didn't work for me. That's why I went the route of the service dog. Um, And Rosa has been a blessing in my life. And so that, um, as soon as I got Rosa, um, that was another motivating factor. I figured out um, rather quickly within a month or so that no matter what happens, I can now live my life with, you know, with her being able to alert me to all these things. Um, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about calling someone to come get me off the floor if I pass out. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about... um, She's going to tell me before it happens so I can get to a safe position and move on with my day afterwards. Like it was, it was total life changing event. Um, having her, um, being a recipient to a, to a service animal like that. And then from there, um, the other things I did like the fitness, um, I started getting in shape and stuff. Um, I decided jujitsu was the way for me to do that. And, um, it, like, like I said, um, you got to find, that fire and desire inside yourself. And you got to say, um, what is my passion? Um, what is something that I love to do? And you find the people around you that like to do those same things. And you get into the community, you get into, you find a group of friends, um, and you, you just indulge yourself in all of it, surround yourself with it. So this wasn't, um, it's not like you oh, you woke up and you had this this moment of, hey, my life is not where where I want it to be. I'm mentally and emotionally not where um, I want to be, and something is wrong. So you started taking those steps to fix it. Uh, this wasn't an overnight thing, and it probably wasn't even a week thing. We're talking uh, how how long from the time that that you had that moment to where you didn't feel in that moment anymore. How much time are we talking? Almost two years. Okay. Um, it took me from the time I left, um, to get my service dog and everything. And, uh, to the time, uh, I walked into a jujitsu Academy and said, this is now what I'm going to be doing with my life. Um, about two years total. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening and you, maybe you're at that point, um, and you've said a lot just to, that's kind of inspired me a little bit, um, things that you said, uh, so far. And so if you, if you are listening, I mean, it's not an overnight thing. Sure. You can make that decision, but it it takes that, that, that drive every single day, um, to, I guess, better yourself or, uh, to not revert back to, you know, the day before. 
Another thing I'll add to that, Steve, um, you asked um, something I would say to someone out there that might be listening that's struggling right now is the number one thing that I've learned from all of this is don't give up. No matter what, don't give up. If today sucks, um, I can promise you today, tomorrow isn't going to be as bad as it is today. And four hours from now isn't going to be as bad as what you're feeling right now. And that's something I've learned over the, uh, over the course of the last four or five years that I've dealt with this. Um, post-traumatic stress, um, the disabilities I have, there's no prognosis really, and there's no cure. So this is something you're going to have to learn to manage your entire life. And it's absolutely doable. If I can do it, believe me, I'm not a smart guy. So, um, if I can do it, you just be resilient. Um, you, you can do it. There's no, there's no prognosis, no cure. So you got to be the, the dealer of your own cards. You got to take those and flip them and and work with what you got. And it's funny because you, you say, you said, you know, tomorrow, um, isn't going to be as bad as today. It's just funny that you said that because something I always tell, um, my 19 year old daughter is tomorrow's a new day. And she actually went, (laughs) that's her first tattoo. She had it tattooed on herself. Um, so I, I thought that was, that's kind of funny. Um, because, I can't yeah. believe your daughter's old enough to get a tattoo. Yeah, I know. I'm, I feel so old. <laughs> we are, we are getting old, man. That's uh, I have a one-year-old daughter at home. Nice. And uh, she, it's amazing. Um, it is amazing, right? Had it, had, <laughs> had I not gone through the steps that I've taken to get where I'm at, that that never would have happened. Yeah. And uh, I thank God every day for that. That's um, it's an amazing thing to uh, to be able to raise a child and. That was, I was given the gift of life. I mean, that was, was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Parenthood is a, quite a thing to experience. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. Justin, I, I, I really appreciate all the, all the great information. I mean, um, invaluable information that this, this episode and, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for, uh, just being that source of inspiration, uh, for those that are listening and, and people that you come across. Um, Michael, do you? you yeah, no, I echo it, all those statements. Uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for everything that you're doing and continue to do. I think it's amazing. And, uh, if someone wants to learn about you or your mission and what you're trying to accomplish, uh, where can they find you on the on the interweb there? We're on Operation Rolling for Resilience. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, we're on Instagram. You just type in uh, Operation Rolling for Resilience and you'll see tons of stuff from us on there. Um, we do not have a website set up yet, but that's coming soon. Okay. Um, you can also look me up. My name is Justin Hall. I'll accept all friend requests. I mean, spam, non-spam, I don't care. I, <laughs> followers are followers. So good publicity. Uh, that's publicity. great. It's I love publicity. it. That's it. Yeah. Any press is good press, man. That's great. Well, again, we appreciate you coming on. And um, thanks again. I appreciate the support. And I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to share my story today. Absolutely. If you want to meet Justin, I'll be here on Veterans Day um, photographing uh, any veteran here at Atlas in, in South Glens Falls. So, yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for listening. And uh, see you again next week. See you guys next time.